Garage Logic, broadcasting live from the office of the mayor above the boathouse on the east shore of Spoon Lake. Featuring the rookie on production, Chris Reavers, vice president of social media, and John Height in the newsroom. Now, the fireworks commissioner, flashlight king, and keeper of common sense, your mayor, Joe Souchere. Commencing Garage Logic segment number one. Good afternoon, everyone. Deputy Mayor Tom Hauser sitting in for the mayor today. And boy, does he know how to pick a day off. Yeah. It is gorgeous. 78 degrees. Just a hint of humidity. Not bad at all. Boy, are you an idiot for saying yes on a day like that? Well, you know, when you say yes to these things, you don't have the forecast in front of you. And you just go, yeah, well... Of course, you know, I, I could be down in the newsroom or I could be up here. No, it's better to be up here so, where the uh, where the action is always happening and you're making news when you're sitting in that uh, mayor's chair. Yeah, well, that's uh, and, and where is he making news uh, in the garage? or is he, he is burning it. He's using it or losing it. Oh, yeah. Uh, he doesn't even have he's he's not anywhere. He's just probably cleaning out the garage. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a good idea. He just idea. said, I'm going to take a couple of days off. I'm sure he took a glance at the calendar and decided he needed some diversity training on the golf course. <laughs> um, yeah, it's today would be a perfect day to play golf. You know, this is, I think I just saw, where did I read it in the paper? One of our emails internally. Mm-hmm. It's the sixth hottest summer we've ever had. I didn't even know that. Sixth so, hottest. So sixth hottest. It's not over yet. I, I know I had read somewhere not too long ago that the average, in the average summer we have like, yeah, uh, what is it? Thirteen ninety degree days or something, okay. and maybe not just summer, but yeah. in the year thirteen right. ninety degree days because some day sometimes you can get those in the fall or in the spring. But uh, we've already had more than that or close to that, and That's it's enough. only uh, just after July fifteenth. So really, the, the midpoint said, of summer. We've only just begun. Yes, huh? I love Karen Carpenter. Loved her Karen brother Carpenter. is just talking about her death at seventy one right now. He's just opened up. I think this. Past month or week, I saw somewhere. Really? And he hadn't really talked about it much? Uh, no, he, he really has not. Had not. And, and I don't course, know to what extent. I didn't read the article. I just saw the headline. And, of course, she had um, died of, I believe, was it an eating disorder? Anorexia or that, bulim- that, she was that's, bulimic? That's what, yeah. what kind of led to her, to her death. That was very sad because she, I mean, to this day, and my kids always laugh at me when I'm listening to like, Christmas 70s, music, or 70s 70. music. I have a rule: if Karen Carpenter's voice comes on, we do not turn the channel. Zip it. You've you've got a no. They can talk, but I'm not turning the channel. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> because she had such a beautiful voice. Oh, she did. I think, just, I think it made uh, you happy when you heard her sing. I think her voice and Whitney Houston are are my two favorite female voices. All right, of and all time. one of the most believable of female voices ever, Patsy Cline. I, yeah, I believed. That she was lonely when she sang those songs yeah. about about heartbreak. Yeah, she sang from the heart. Yes, there's no no question about yep. that. And you know, Barbara Streisand was not bad either. But I mean, Whitney Houston and Karen Carpenter for some reason there's just something there. Uh, no pun intended, but their voices kind of struck a right, chord with me. Right. So uh, anyway, we got a lot to get to. So the next eighties, Madonna next, and Cher. Yeah. No, no. 
<laughs> yeah, let's get to it now. We got a we got we the get, big guy waiting. We got in the some wings. stuff going on. We we've got Stephen Shear who's going to join us in just a moment and talk about some really interesting campaign finance numbers that he had unearthed somewhere, and I think it'll be interesting to share with uh, our listeners about uh, how their airwaves are going to and their I shouldn't just say airwaves, but between television, radio, and digital platforms, we are going to be inundated here in the state of Minnesota. I know it's. it seems like, well, where is it? We're, we're only a few months from Election Day, but wait until we get past the primary and everybody starts clamoring for attention in the general election. It It's going to be crazy around Pandemonium. here. Pandemonium. I know it seems kind of quiet right now because it's, you know, middle of summer, but that's just the way the middle of summer is in politics, as long as Donald Trump isn't involved. <laughs> Oh boy, He's, that's he had, that's a whole he, yeah, course I, of a different. I, color. I may ask Stephen a question or two about that too. Trump had Democrats about, and this is saying something about as epileptic as I've ever seen them. Yep. And he's and that's been two years of of him driving them up a wall. But yesterday, it I mean Tom Friedman, you know from St. Louis Park, he was on CNN saying he thinks Donald Trump is an agent of the Russian government. <laughs> Former KGB. <laughs> Former KGB. It was, you know, and you, you can have your opinion about what he said and what he did. Uh, now, and, backers uh, are saying he knows what he's doing and he's like a, yeah, huh? a double secret agent and he's <laughs> he's putting his, he's wringing his hands and his evil plan is in place right now. <laughs> he's lulling Putin into a false sense of security. Yeah, right. Is that, was that what you're saying? This would have to, I mean, the president would have to be very deep up here. I don't know if that is, uh, is, is possible. And I, and I think we'll have to turn, I, I, I think I had heard that uh, Trump is going to speak uh, sometime today oh, okay. about we'll this. Monitor. We'll have to be keeping an eye uh, out for that. But so in the, here in just a minute, we'll talk to Stephen Shear, And then in the two o'clock hour, uh, we're going to shift dramatically to all-star baseball. And uh, one of um, the Minnesota Twins' former All-Stars, Ron Coomer, is going to join us to talk about the game he played in 19 years ago this summer. And, boy, did he play with some big names in that game. When you look down the list, again, some of them ended up in some steroid trouble. But uh, Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, uh, Ken Griffey Jr., Cal Ripken, I mean, he was... Uh, among greatness and then that was the game where ted williams the game was at fenway and ted williams was there to throw out the first pitch yeah and stan musial was there i mean it was what a great experience uh and nobody remembers ron coomer being there between all those big names <laughs> and you know what so he's just fine too. with that he yeah. was like a little kid oh yeah at uh, an all-star game with these guys you or i rook would kill for that opportunity. I would have been near, I mean that just quite to be a little mouse in that field or room. Yeah, absolutely. And he got into the game, and I mean, Maybe it was just—he's going to tell a story about stepping on Stan Musial's foot. Uh, It's—we'll uh, have some fun with Ron Coomer coming up in our two o'clock hour. Okay, so we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back then. Stephen Shear will join us. We're going to talk campaign finance. And maybe I'll put him on the spot about uh, Trump's performance with Putin yesterday. Ooh. All coming up after a break here on Garage Logic. seen more urban wildlife than a DNR field agent with a Ph.D., Joe Suchere.
Welcome back to Garage Logic. Deputy Mayor Tom Hauser from Five Eyewitness News sitting in for the mayor today and joining us on the line right now, Stephen Shear, Carleton College, political expert extraordinaire. Stephen, how are you today? Fine. That's nice music, but it's not Karen Carpenter. No, it's not. Are you a Karen, are you a Karen Carpenter fan? Well, I, uh, I'm dating myself. I was in high school when they were big, and I remember it vividly. Oh, yes. Yep. It was, uh, she, was, uh, she was gone far too soon, I think. Well, Stephen, I, I need to tell the listeners, Stephen does a great job of aggregating great political stuff from all over the, the web and wherever he can find it, and then he distributes it to a, a number of us who he knows are, are interested. And one email that he sent me last week, when I was uh, actually on the last day of my vacation, so I initially missed it, but I did uh, pick up on it uh, today when I was going through a, a bunch of emails. And Stephen, I was fascinated by this. If you look at all the states in the nation where uh, the major parties and the super PACs have reserved airtime or digital ad space, Minnesota is just barely in second place in the whole country just behind the state of California, which, as you know, is the, the size of its own country. Yeah. So, and population-wise and in terms of uh, the, the area of California. So this really is remarkable. 20 million, 20.2 million reserved in California, 19.6 million reserved in Minnesota. What is going on? Well, and the other thing to note is that uh, at the time those figures were aggregated, it included more uh, GOP-oriented uh, res- reservations than Democratic reservations, which are still to come. So we're going to easily go above that number once Democrats fully commit to uh, Minnesota. Uh, well, there's just so much action here, Tom. You know, there's so many races, statewide uh, races for attorney general and, and governor. You've got uh, several of the most competitive U.S. House races in the country. You've got two Senate races. Uh, you've got primaries that involve a large number of prominent candidates. I mean, man, I've never seen it so crowded. Yeah, it, it it really is remarkable, and and the money shows that they're going to put their money where their mouths are. I mean, it, it, at some point, now it hasn't happened yet, we were talking about how right now we're kind of in that sleepy part of the summer, yeah. where there, it appears like not much is happening, and we, you know, we've been telling people for months, look, at Minnesota's going to be ground zero for uh, political action this election season. Uh, when do you expect that? to start happening? Is it going to be just shortly after the primaries kind of set the field? Well, yeah, it's really going to ramp up. I agree with you. It's going to ramp up after the primaries. But the problem with uh, your media buys, there are two problems here. Uh, First, um, what uh, political science and social scientists have found is that the effect, the persuasive effect of ads dissipates very quickly once the ads end. Uh, so that would encourage you to move it quicker to the point of decision. But on the other hand, if everybody does that, there's so much advertising clutter that any single message may not get through to voters. So it's a very difficult thing uh, threading the needle for any super PAC candidate or party with all these buys. Yeah, because you can, and we talked a little bit about this on the phone earlier, uh, television now again i make my living in television so i but but television can be kind of an inefficient way to reach 
the specific demographic that you want to get to? Yep. Because and it didn't used to be that way. You used to have to use the, the scattershot approach, but now with so much data mining going on with digital ad buys, uh, and of course we sell di- digital advertising as well, sometimes it's a little easier for these candidates and the parties to kind of narrow cast who they're going after, after yeah. isn't it? Yeah, and you know, uh, one of the real pioneers in this was the 2016 Trump campaign, which spent a greater amount of its campaign budget in the fall on social media than any presidential campaign had ever spent before, and it worked for Trump. Yeah, and then, of course, then there's the questions about uh, did the Russians also work for Trump? Yeah, we'll talk. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit and about his performance yesterday. But uh, but sticking with this campaign finance uh, piece for now, the other thing we always look at, and and this is some of that, is the outside spending uh, that gets devoted to uh, individual races. Now we're off to kind of a slow start in that area as well. The biggest amount of money so far that has been spent is 317000 in the third congressional race, the one that's going to feature Eric Paulson, the Republican incumbent, against Dean Phillips, the, the Democrat. Uh, so 317000 there. So far, $0 in the 8th district. And I think just a, a little bit maybe in, in the 1st district, which we also expect to be a very close race. But that money can come in like an avalanche. Yeah, it can very quickly, and I expect it to. And also add the second district, which is going to be very competitive and is a national Democratic target between uh, Jason Lewis and Angie Craig, definitely. So you've got four races there uh, in one state, which and no state has as many competitive U.S. House races except maybe one of the big states like California. So that's another reason why so much money's coming here. And the interesting thing is that the races we're talking about essentially are the first district where it's an open seat because Tim Walls is running for governor. Second district, which is uh, Jason Lewis against uh, Angie Craig, which is a rematch of a hotly contested race from two years ago. Then you've got Paulson and Phillips, who I just talked about. And then the eighth district, uh, which Pete Stauber is going to be the Republican candidate. There are, what, four or five candidates who one of them will emerge after the primary on on uh, August 14th, and then we'll know who that matchup is going to be. But the interesting thing is we're not talking a lot about the 7th District, which you would think would be a hot battleground because it's a very Republican-leaning district represented by Democrat Colin Peterson, who, by the way, is already running television ads. You're right, and that, that really surprised me to start seeing out of all these races the early ads are by Colin Peterson. I think what he's trying to do is put this race away early because his opponent is, at this point, severely underfunded compared to him. And he was severely underfunded two years ago. David Hughes is who right. we're talking about. I, I forget the exact figure. I think it was around $50,000 maybe that he raised. It might have even been less than that. Yeah, it's about that. And he yeah. came within five points of unseating uh, you know, a, a longtime uh, Democratic incumbent, again, because Trump won that district by a wide margin. Uh, and so Colin Peterson can't take anything for granted, can he? No, and I think this brings up a broader question, and it's a question that these elections this year will answer is, 
was the Trump success, and keep in mind, folks, that he did better in Minnesota than he did nationwide, and that's the first time that's happened in many, many decades for a Republican candidate. Is that just a blip, a one-time thing, or are we seeing a trend where Minnesota becomes more Republican and less reliably Democratic? Yeah, and so before I let you go, I want to talk about, about Trump's performance yesterday in Helsinki, Finland, with Putin. Uh, like I, I said earlier, uh, Democrats came unglued about his performance. There were many Republicans who were uh, maybe not equally as critical, but very critical of the president. How do you assess this? This is probably the 73rd time I've heard Democrats say, oh, this is the end of Trump. This, uh, he, can't, he can't overcome this. We've been hearing this for two years. Where does this rank on well, the Trump meter? Well, it, Trump says things that set people off. I mean, this is something we have to expect, I think. Uh, A couple points to make about this. First of all, uh, we don't know what happened in the meetings, but apparently they were far more constructive uh, throughout his trip than his comments. He got in trouble with the British Prime Minister. He declared that the European Union was an enemy, and then he made his comments where he trusted Putin uh, on uh, on med- election meddling. Yeah, all more, more things, than U.S. intelligence sources. Yeah, yeah. all those things were, were uh, really counterproductive, but... Uh, it may be that in the actual meetings, things, uh, constructive things happen. And the other point I want to make is you have to look at administration policy towards Russia and, uh, and compare that to uh, Trump's statements. And this is a, an administration that has taken military action against Russian interests in Syria that has armed Ukraine and has increased sanctions on Russian oligarchs. So uh, the actions of the administration are certainly not coddling Russia, uh, despite uh, uh, Trump's comments. Uh, but any administration where the words and the actions don't match up is an administration that is not operating very well politically. Yeah, so I mean, do you think there is the possibility that President Trump had, as uh, Rookie was saying earlier, some this is some diabolical plan to <laughs> lull Putin into a false sense of security, <laughs> or is he just being President Trump? He, oh, he's being Trump, which is uh, he speaks off the cuff and often without a bit rashly, shall we say, and in ways that really don't further his policies. Uh, now, on the other hand, I do think his opponents make an, uh, make an equivalent mistake by going crazy, setting their hair on fire uh, whenever he makes these statements, because it makes them look unreasonable and not necessarily a desirable alternative. Well, I heard Tom Friedman, you know, a Minnesota uh, native, uh, on CNN yesterday saying he believes that President Trump is essentially an agent of the Russian government. And he he wasn't and he he wasn't, you know, being facetious about it. Well, if that were true, then I think you'd see policies that were more pro-Russian than than are actually occurring. And I just mentioned three that really have uh, have have. challenged Russia more than Obama did. So, again, uh, the media focuses on what Trump says, and Trump loves that, but we really have to look at what government's doing, and that often tells you a different story. Well, as always, Stephen Shear, a very astute observer of what is going on. We'll be keeping an eye on this. We do expect, I believe, uh, President Trump is going to say some uh, more today about Russia, so we'll uh, follow that. And, of course, we'll be following the 
2018 elections very closely, and you'll see Stephen Shear many times on Five Eyewitness News helping us uh, sort through what is going on with these elections. So, Stephen, thanks for joining us today. I do appreciate it. I hope you get out and enjoy some of this beautiful weather. I'll do that now. Okay, yeah, great. I, didn't, I got your orders. <laughs> All right, Stephen Shear yeah. from Carleton College, thank you very much for being here. We're going to take a break. We'll be back after this. Bid. Commencing Garage Logic Segment Number 3. Welcome back. Segment number, th- number 3 is underway with Mr. Johnny Height. And the news. Thank you, Tom. Sunny and 78 degrees. Your 2018 All-Star Game is tonight. You'll hear it right here, 7 o'clock tonight on 1500 ESPN. The lone rep for the Twins, uh, pitcher Jose Barrios. Uh, weeks ago, the Philadelphia 76ers reportedly agreed to a, a deal with free agent forward Naminia Balitza. He, of course, spent last year with the Timberwolves. Uh, now it looks like he will not be joining them or any other NBA team next season. Apparently, he's going to stay in Europe. According to multiple reports, Melitza will not officially side with the Sixers. Uh, Woj and uh, via Twitter, Woj, of course, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski said Melitza intends to stay in Europe next season and inform the team of his decision this morning. News notes from today. A bicyclist pronounced dead after a crash involving a motorcycle and another vehicle in Uptown late last night. Police said the incident happened around 11 o'clock in the area of Hennepin and Franklin Avenues. According to police, the adult male bicyclist was riding westbound on Franklin when he proceeded to enter the intersection on a red light, hit the side of a motorcycle traveling northbound on Hennepin Avenue. The bicyclist thrown from the bike landed in the street and was hit by an oncoming car. Bicyclist has not yet been identified, died at a nearby hospital. Police said the motorcyclist and driver of the car tried to hi- help the bicyclist and are cooperating with the investigation. Authorities are investigating the incident. They said neither excessive speed nor impairment appear to be factors for the motorcyclist or the driver. Wow, the motorcyclist certainly dodged a bullet, huh? Yeah, definitely. Wow. Yeah. Uh, some tense moments on the north side of the metro last night. Authorities searching the Anoka County Government Center after getting a report from someone who said they were inside with a gun. That, according to Commander Paul Summer with the Anoka County Sheriff's Office, a call came in around 7 o'clock. The building was shut down and searched as a precaution. Authorities called off the search around 9 p.m. after they were unable to locate anyone, according to Summer. The president expected at any moment to address the pushback from yesterday's press conference that he held with Russian President Vladimir Putin. Sources say the president thought everything went great after the press conference, but was upset when he got on the plane. Saw the press reports that followed that criticized him. Early this afternoon, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, while not directly criticizing President Trump, said Russia should be looked at as an enemy. When asked about the possibility of Russia interfering in the 2018 election, said only they'd better not. There we go. <laughs> yeah. A man suspected in three fatal shootings has been arrested in Houston, Texas. And authorities say 46-year-old Jose Gilberto Rodriguez was taken into custody this morning. Houston Police Chief Art Acevedo and Harris County Sheriff Ed Gonzalez have said Rodriguez is wanted in connection with three different killings since Friday. Gonzalez described Rodriguez as a possible serial killer. Gonzalez told reporters Rodriguez was arrested after a brief vehicle pursuit. Sheriff's deputy responded to a report of a suspicious vehicle at 6.15 this morning. While searching the area, the sheriff's deputy saw a vehicle that matched the description what Rodriguez was believed to be driving, and Rodriguez was 
in the vehicle. Gonzalez told reporters this morning it's possible he was casing the neighborhood in search of another victim. It was about a 15-minute chase. Rodriguez taken into custody around 7. A handgun found in the vehicle, which police say was stolen from one of Rodriguez's victims. He was known to frequent the Cypress Fairbanks area, where he was apprehended, according to Gonzalez. He is suspected in the shooting death of 62-year-old Pamela Johnson in her Cypress area home on Friday. Johnson was a widow who liked to read the Bible, according to neighbors, and surprised them with homemade cookies. Rodriguez also suspected in the killings of 28-year-old Allie Barrow inside a mattress store in Houston on Saturday and the fatal shooting of a man inside a different mattress store on Monday. There is also a, spot, a suspect in the robbery, shooting and wounding of a Metro bus driver on Monday and a home invasion on July 9th. The Holy Grail of baseball cards, a pristine 1952 Topps Mickey Mantle, valued at several million dollars, was delivered to the History Colorado Center yesterday via armored truck for a 72-hour display. Why is, uh, I'm interrupting you and I'm not sorry, I'm just going to do it anyway, John. Um, that wasn't much what about apology, Hannes wasn't Wagner? It? Wasn't that the big... That's, uh, why, why that's is the Mickey other Mantle one? Yes. so desirable? Because it's his rookie card. It's his rookie card, and uh, many of them were, as later in the story it says this. Um, oh, sorry. The, Proceed, John. Go ahead. The, you can tell me later. The 52s, uh, and I also am a card collector, so I know this for that reason. I am too, so we'll talk here in a moment. You finish the okay. story. They, were, uh, they collected them all up when 53 came along, the 53 cards, yep. and they put them on a barge and sunk them what? near New York City. That's how they got rid of their, all their backstock in those days. Which is very strange. Wow. So the only and, and, ones out there were the ones that people had purchased. And, and, okay. and then, and then and you can't underestimate how many of them ended up in the spokes exactly. of yeah. uh, kids' oh. bikes. Because they get the clothespin and you put the card in there and you'd ride around and it would make your bike sound like a motorcycle. And this card uh, is apparently, it looks like it literally just came out of the package, a 52 mantle. Why, so it, that's why it's... Does, it, does the story say how many of them... Are known uh, it, to exist. There, uh, it talks about it's okay. One reason the cards, blah 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 blah. Uh, Fogel's card is a gem mint PSA ten, one of only three fifty-two mantle cards in existence that have that high of a rating. Wow! Of the three, Fogel's card is the only perfect ten. What's known in the collecting world as an A plus. The other two are A's. Hey, look at my Mickey Mantle card. <laughs> my <laughs> my favorite Mickey Mantle card. Because unfortunately, I was not born in the 50s, but I do have a 67 Mickey Mantle uh-huh. card that I've never had it rated, but it's it was it's a great, it's a big it's shot of his, the whole card is his face. I don't mm, know if you it's recognize yeah. it. Yeah, they, and, I know the card well, yes. But, it, but it's, <laughs> the 67 set was a great set of cards. Mm-hmm. And if you get a complete set of that, that's kind of one of my bucket list things is to complete that. It's very difficult because the, the other thing they used to do in addition to dumping these things out in the in the ocean uh, the later series, they used to sell them by series. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the season, kids stopped buying baseball cards because they were moving yeah. on to football. Got so it. they didn't make as many of the upper numbers. Correct. So oh. those are more rare than the ones that came out in the spring when kids would buy millions of these things. And they Tom, all. do you get out much or no? I do not. I do not. I don't, uh, don't get out nope. very much they at all. Also, when you grew didn't up, date at all in high school <laughs> either, by the way. When you grew up where I did in Mandan, North Dakota, the later series sometimes didn't even make it there. Yeah. We would go to... Uh, we vacationed in Minnesota, so my brothers and myself would run to the store immediately and yeah, try to get that, cards because the later series were there. And that's so. why, you know, they stopped doing that, I forget, sometime in the 60s or 70s. Mm-hmm. But, like, uh, the guys who come into town, they swoop in. You'll see ads in the paper, guys coming in to buy these old cards. They don't want anything past, what would you say, John, 1975? Yeah, that's a uh, good, Because then yeah. they started mass-producing them all at once. Yeah. And, I mean, people have... 
complete sets in their closets that are just collecting dust. I can see Rook's going to make fun of both of us at some yes, point he here. Is. So let, no. me, let me just add, because I want to make Tom jealous here. Yep. I have a complete set of Topps 58 baseball cards. Do you really? I, I put, it took me four years to put it what's, together. What's the value on that? Uh, well, they're it. not all mint. I, I, uh, you know, yeah. I, I just said, I just yeah, want... That, mine doesn't have to all be mint. I just collection. want it to I could probably sell it for 1500 probably. You know, yeah. 2000 it's, On, on some of those intimate excursions to Minnesota <laughs> with, the, uh, with the family, is that when the old man might... Might be walking down the hallway or sitting up against them, the the wall and ask you maybe who you mad at. <laughs> that would be at the resort. Yeah. Okay, good. Sitting good. on the dock. Some of those. Okay. Yeah. I okay. love baseball card stories. Yeah. And, and rookie, yeah. nothing you say can change that. And I agree no, I collected. I just didn't nerd it up. <laughs> hey, oh, wow. Johnny and I are sitting on gold mines That's at our right. house. Those are our little retirement plans. That's true. So, are you done with your uh, your card collecting <laughs> stories? <laughs> Or should we continue? Do we have more news? No, we're gonna we're gonna cut uh, Johnny off here. We're gonna go to Dave Dahl when we come back, and then you've got a uh, special guest. Yes, Joe from Mason the from Five Eyewitness News will join us to talk about some big things happening. Not bad things, good things happening out at the airport. We'll have all that after a break. The Dahl then the Maze. Welcome back to Garage Logic. Deputy Mayor Tom Hauser from Five Eyewit News. News. That's easy for rookie to say, but not so much right. for me. Hello. Uh, we are here on a beautiful, absolutely gorgeous Tuesday afternoon, and the man responsible for all of that uh, is with us now, Mr. Dave Dahl. Thank you, Tom. It's all it's darn near perfect outside right now. It it's really seven, is. Seventy-eight, two point fifty-five. You can't get much better than that. Low down to sixty-two tonight with mainly clear skies tomorrow. Heats up a little bit, back up to about eighty-four. There will be some thunderstorms that develop late tomorrow night, scattered through Thursday, and then into Friday morning. Thursday is going to be the wettest day in the next seven. Seventy-three for the high then, because of all the clouds and showers. Seventy-five on Friday, back in the lower eighties over the weekend, and it does look sunny for both Saturday and Sunday. Day. Going for a high today, Tom, about 82. Right now we're at 78. And Dave, we have the Torchlight Parade on Wednesday night. I also might run the Torchlight 5K along that route. The should. weather should be good at 730 tomorrow night. Absolutely. It's not going to happen until after midnight. If we get some showers and storms, they'll probably pop in then. Okay. Dave Dahl, we will hear from you again next hour. I'll be there. All right. That is Dave Dahl down in the 5 Eyewitness News Weather Center. And joining me now, I believe, is Mr. Joe Mazin. Not in the Five Eyewitness News newsroom. I believe you were joining me from out at the airport. Is that correct, Joe, or have you made that your way true. back? Oh, you're right, Tom. We were uh, we're just uh, leaving the airport right now. We were out there for a uh, story on a job fair out at the airport. A lot of a lot of uh, exciting things happening at the airport today. Yeah, it's, and it's, it's I know the job fair is is one of the things that's going on. But there, when I drove to the airport last Friday to drop my uh, wife off uh, for a business trip that she had, I could. It, it's just amazing. You know, because I've been driving to that airport all of my life, and every mm-hmm. time I drive up there, I still go, I cannot believe how this has grown and changed. <laughs> and I believe tomorrow uh, the Intercontinental Hotel opens, right? The first hotel at the airport? That is correct. It, uh, it will open, actually, we found out just uh, an hour ago. They're, they're shooting now for uh, early next week. Uh, that's the uh, goal. It was supposed to open tomorrow, but now they're shooting for next week. It's the first and only air, uh, hotel that's actually attached to the uh, airport which is nice for uh, people who stay there, though. They have the Skyway that goes right from the 
hotel. There's a TSA checkpoint in that Skyway, so people will be able to go right from the hotel, go through through the security checkpoint, and go right into Concourse C. Uh, so they're uh, they're really excited about having that that new addition to the airport. Something they've uh, wanted out there. For, uh, for several years. And that is such a great deal for business travelers, people who want to, you know, they've, they've got to come into the Twin Cities to do business. They can, you know, fly into the airport, check into the hotel right there at the airport, then take a cab or an Uber or rent a car, whatever they got to do to do their business. And then for catching their connecting flight, if they're like leaving early the next morning, they're already at the airport. I mean, that is something this airport has lacked forever until now. Exactly. They've been wanting this for several years, and now it's finally uh, becoming a reality here next week. Um, and along with that new airport, we found out there is going to be about uh, over, they've had 50 new shops and restaurants that have opened over the last few years, and now they said they're still opening about 30 new restaurants that will open over the next 18 months, and that includes a brand new food court. Um, so there is just a lot of construction everywhere you turn. Uh, you're seeing construction crews uh, throughout the airport on the inside and on the outside. We saw the um, they have a new parking ramp that's going up uh, for, it's going to be called the Silver Ramp. Uh, that's going to be uh, attached to Terminal 1. Uh, and get this, Tom, you, you, this is something you'll be able to tell your, your friends and family. They'll have the tallest escalator in the state of Minnesota will be in that parking ramp. Will it really? It, exactly. it's gonna How be- many stories is it? Uh, I don't know. I think they. I. I it's still in the under construction. Oh, okay. The said, okay. Uh, the woman who uh, told us said, "Though this is going to be the tallest escalator in the state of Minnesota once it's completed." Now that's not scheduled to open until 2020. But that's. Uh, I thought that's kind of a, a cool, uh, cool uh, little addition that you can. Uh, well, if you go there, you'll be able to say you're on the tallest escalator in the state. Well, and Joe, you know what Rookie's getting at is he wants to be the first one to you know ride down the, the banister on that <laughs> right, thing. Right, right. Exactly. Is that what you're thinking? <laughs> that, run up backwards. Right. Yeah, that, that's, yeah. Now, and that's that's part of the new ramp that is under construction there right now? Correct. That's, okay. uh, it'll be in Terminal 1. It's going to be called the Silver Ramp. Uh, so that's going to be uh, right next to the hotel. So when you see the construction. If you're staying at that hotel, you look out the window, you'll see the, the ramp going up right there, right next to the new Intercontinental Hotel. And both of you guys have seen the original airport movie? Yes. With, uh, who was it? Charlton ago. Heston. And right, all right. The, mm-hmm. Do you remember they, they used the facade of our airport as, you know, the big blizzard coming in, and that was the Minneapolis-St. Paul Airport? You can still see that facade kind of, you know, at the departure. I didn't even remember that. Yeah, with, with, right. the, with the, you know, with the jagged... Um, yeah. Uh, entrance, yep. and mm-hmm. that was used. And then they also shot some scenes in the terminal. And I, I remember talking to an airport cop many mm-hmm. years ago about he was assigned to uh, escort Charlton Heston uh, around the airport, you know, to the coffee shops. Oh, sure. And Joe, that was back when there were just little coffee shops and concession <laughs> that was stands. About it, right? Now it's it's almost like the Mall of America at the airport. It really is. I mean, and they've won so many awards at the airport. You can really see why. I mean. There's a lot of time and thought that goes into the planning, and they, you know, they're really looking forward to the future. Um, they just got a, actually about a six million dollar grant uh, from the U.S. Uh, Department of Transportation. Uh, they're going to be replacing some of the uh, existing pavement on the taxiways. They're going to be installing new runway uh, lights and sensors. Oh, so they're still so going to have mean, planes out there too? Okay, I thought the whole thing was just turned <laughs> into a mall. So that's good to know. Joe, you're going to have more on this coming up tonight. Uh, what newscast are you in tonight? We'll be on at 5 and 6.30 tonight. Alright, all the new things going on at the Minneapolis-St. Paul International Airport. Joe Mason will have that on 5 Eyewitness News tonight at 5 and 6.30. Joe, thanks for spending some time with us, and we'll uh, talk to you down in the newsroom. 
Sounds good, buddy. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Joe Mason, a long-suffering Chicago White Sox fan. And we're back, and in the 2 o'clock hour, Ron Coomer joins us to talk all